0: Hello, and welcome to episode one of Penny Red, a podcast about the role playing game Victoria and about role playing in general. My name is Daniel Hodges, writer and designer of Victoria, and your host. And that stilted introduction, ladies and gentlemen, is all that remains of my first attempt to record a podcast. It very quickly became apparent to me that listening to a single person talking is not very interesting. At least, it's not very interesting when that single person talking is me. So before the first episode was even released, I changed the format of the show. Every week I'm going to have a guest with me, somebody who I roleplay with currently, somebody who I've roleplayed with in the past, or in the case of this first episode, my parents. Now I'm not sure how many people have their parents as their first guest on a podcast, but my suspicions are that it's probably more than you might think. I hope you'll give me a pass on that one though, because they're going to help me remember some of the details of when I first became interested in roleplaying. During the interview, you'll get to hear my mother call my friends and I stupid, and you'll get to hear me go after my father for the lack of parental care he showed when his son became interested in a dangerous and obsessive hobby. Lastly today, I'm going to talk about one of my favourite books, Project Twilight, which will involve a trip down memory lane and into the mind of Bob Schnoblin. During this and subsequent podcasts, I'll make reference to YouTube videos that I've watched or books or websites that i've read and i'll put those in the show notes so that you can check them out as well the show notes and information about victoria the role-playing game can be found at pennyredpodcast.com and hazardgaming.com respectively today's show starts with penny red's first guest the person who i have to thank for getting me my very first pieces of role-playing equipment i've got my mother on the phone she's from uh new zealand how's it going Mum? I wrote a few things about about you in the blog. One, about going to uh, get the dice uh, for me. But more interestingly, because I think a lot of people can identify with it, about the uh, secretary that there was at at the school. But before I get into that, um, do you remember the first time you heard anything about Dungeons & Dragons?
1: I remember you coming home very excited about a game and then spending a lot of time telling me and Dad about it and
0: talking about it with your friends. In my recollection, I got a book called um, What is Dungeons & Dragons. Now, I seem to remember that, that the aunt bought me it because it said Dungeons & Dragons on the cover, and, and it looked exciting. There was a dragon coming off the front. But um, as I as said in my blog, it was a pretty thinly veiled attempt to uh, cash in on some of the, the money that Dungeons & Dragons was uh, was making at the time. But talking a little bit about the going to get the uh, dice, when you, you finally found your way to the pokey little... Uh, Dark shop. Did you have uh, did you have any idea of what it was you're exactly looking for? No, I didn't.
1: I, I I went into the shop and said I needed some dice for Dungeons and Dragons, and he said, "Well, which ones do you want?" And I said, "Well, I don't exactly know. You tell me." And so he he selected dice for me, which I bought and took home for you.
0: So and had I, you seen them I didn't previous? Know had you seen any previous to that? Like, to, to know whether you had the right thing? Like, did I describe what they looked like or did I have a picture to show you of them? Because I, I seem to recall that on the, cover of the, uh, on the cover of the book there were all these various polyhedral dice coming out of their eyes. So, so I, I, I've had a feeling I must have at least showed you or perhaps sent you with the, uh, with, with the book. But, like, did you, like, open the packet and look at them and go, oh, that's strange, or oh, yes, that's what I'm looking for?
1: Uh, no, I think I had no idea that they had multi sides but other than that i didn't really know now i know that they looked like alien dice to me i didn't even know that you could get dice with more than the ordinary dots on them they were they were very strange looking dice
0: did the people uh, in the shop give you strange looks seeing you in there i mean they can't have been that many uh i don't want to say middle age because that would be uh, inaccurate but uh, older ladies going into uh, like role-playing shops there can't have been that many of them sort of strolling about
1: i didn't see any other women of my age and I did feel a little odd going in there, so I dare say that other people thought that it was a bit oddly being there also.
0: Were there were the people playing games and stuff in there or was it just really uh, milling around and looking at the new books and the new this and the new that? I
1: don't recall anybody playing anything but there were quite a few people, or well, men young, young guys milling about, but uh, no, no, not playing any games
0: Right, and and I think that this was probably around about 1984, right? That this, that you were going to get these these dice, something like that, probably.
1: It wouldn't have been before 84, but it, it may have been 85, but yeah, somewhere around there, yeah. yeah.
0: Up until that point, had you sort of, were you aware at all of Dungeons and Dragons in the media or uh, anybody talking about it? No, I didn't
1: know anything about it until you came home excited about it. That was my first.
0: And even subsequently, anything in the, in the news? Because the reason that I bring it up is that there was a 60-minute program about Dungeons and & Dragons, and, and I actually watched it on YouTube again the other day. Um, if you look up Dungeons & Dragons 1985, 60 Minutes, you'll probably find, well, you should be able to find it. It's, it's, in, it's in two parts, but it's actually quite a good news article in as much as you know, it talks to Gary Gygax and the, the lawyers, and it, it, but it also talks a lot... To the mothers who had whose sons had committed suicide, or any of these various numbers of things, and after seeing that again, and I remember thinking this is a credible news outlet. It was really pretty. It was extremely biased, and it was really sort of scaremongering. Did you get any sense of that? Because from talking to role players over here and uh, in America at conventions and so forth, like there's really a lot of stigma about Dungeons and Dragons or role playing in general. There's still even now, I find that when I go to describe the uh, game, I'm really reluctant to say Dungeons and Dragons to people of a certain age. Do you remember anything like that in the media? or?
1: No, I don't remember anything about it, but that might be because we lived in such a small town that, that um, it wasn't something people knew about. It was a farming town, wasn't it? So maybe Dungeons & Dragons wasn't played by anyone else because you first heard it from someone out of the district, didn't
0: you? It wasn't strictly speaking true that nobody had heard of Dungeons & Dragons. Nobody had heard anything positive about it, you worked at the school, right? Like at a, at a primary school, and and one mm-hmm. one of the best days of my life is when the uh, is when the primary school got a photocopier. Tim had basic Dungeons and Dragons. I don't think it was the red box set, but the books were certainly were certainly red, and having access to these, I asked you to take them to uh, school and photocopy them. Yeah,
1: well, um, that that was um, maybe the secretary had seen that uh, documentary because when I said to her I didn't have time to photocopy these things myself could she do it for me I'd pay for it to be done she said no way I'm not having anything to do with anything to do with Dungeons and Dragons it's evil evil stuff and I won't do it
0: (laughs) did she look did she look terrified that they were even in the school or like did she have a visceral response to their very existence or was it just the idea of it
1: and looked quite defensive, really. Whenever I went to photocopy stuff for you after that, I always had to do it in the lunch hour when she had gone away home to her house for lunch.
0: Apart from that one reaction, did she ever pass on any details about, uh, like, my pastor told me it was was evil? Because she was pretty religious, right?
1: She was religious, yes, but no, she she never mentioned it again, and I never mentioned it to her. I just snuck in and photocopied and hurried away again.
0: Under cover of darkness.
1: Exactly,
0: almost. <laughs> so you got those books home, and then I remember back in those days, I had done role-playing with Mark, but I don't, don't think that I was especially close to him in terms of visiting him on a regular basis to do this. That meant that I had to find somebody to role-play with, and probably like most people that are listening to this podcast, they've tried to get their mothers and fathers and brothers to uh, to play with them. I was a little bit unfortunate in that respect that Ben... That's my brother. He wasn't really old enough. You guys had no idea about it. And, uh, At all? I, I certainly didn't have much of an idea about what was going on. But I seem to remember that one of the first things I did was make a character with you. And I think you wanted to call it um, something like Arachna. Do you, I don't suppose you recall.
1: I don't recall that, no. But I do remember you trying to get me to play the game. And every time I, I wanted to do something, you said, no, you can't do that. And I said, okay, well, then I'll, I'll do that. No, you can't do that. But, but I'll, I'll, I'll do, well, I'll do this then. No, you can't do that. So I said, right, I'm not going to play
0: anymore. So yeah, that's actually... That
1: was my
0: experience of Dungeons & Dragons. It's a difficult thing to describe because while there are rules and you might say, you know, I want to go to the car and open the door and drive away, every time you come up against something that could conceivably be opposed, like the car door is locked, or um, there's no keys or, or something to that effect. Every time you come up against that, that's really what, how role-playing differs from regular storytelling. The action, the drama stuff comes from the, the environment or uh, other people in the story opposing your actions. And did I just fail to describe that? Or?
1: Well, having been told that once I had my character, my character could do anything that he wanted... So I tried to do anything that my character wanted, but I wasn't allowed to. So I became totally confused
0: and spat the (laughs) dummy. I have a recollection of uh, saving up for quite a long time to buy books. I put my Dungeon Master's Guide on Lay By, or Lay Away as it's called here. Do you remember me saving up to buy that? I
1: do. I do remember you gradually accumulating books through some hard effort, yes
0: because I remember them being quite expensive at the time. I'm certain that the Player's Guide back, and this is 1985 money, was $28, and the Dungeon Master's Guide was $36. The first book I got was the Player's Guide, because Tim, he had the Dungeon Master's Guide, so he was always the Dungeon Master, and uh, I was a player because I had the Player's Handbook. Do you remember how long it took me to buy those books? Because I seem to remember that I got the Player's Guide pretty... Pretty quickly, but not so much the Dungeon Dungeon Master's Guide.
1: Well, you must have been working um, after school after school, then, were
0: you at the bookshop? I, well, I did so work. At, yeah, I did work at the bookshop, and the fourth one. I have a feeling that it was after I bought the book. Like maybe it was me constantly going in there and paying off this this book, and then one day I thought, "Well, it's a good idea. Maybe I'll just maybe I'll ask them if I can have a job." make some money to, to yeah. buy the books. But by that point, I think I've already purchased the Dungeon Master's Guide. And I remember you, the one role-playing thing, I think, aside from the dice you ever bought me, was you bought me Mir- Middle-earth role-playing. But, um, but yeah, so... I don't so,
1: recall buying them, but I may have, but I know you ended up with quite a big pile of stuff.
0: Do you re- recall anything else about uh, me role-playing? No, well,
1: I just remember endless hours of you and friends sitting about... Rolling dice
0: and, and And you don't ever remember, um, you don't ever remember talking, like ever describing to anybody else or anybody talking about role playing at all?
1: I remember going to our, our friends who lived in Blenheim, and uh, a visitor came while we were staying there, and she said her young son, who was about nine, I think, was. Playing Dungeons and Dragons, and how had you heard about Dungeons and Dragons? She said, "Well, only really intelligent people can play Dungeons and Dragons. It's a, it's a game just just for the intelligent people." She's very, very
0: intelligent. So you immediately pegged her as being a liar because your son, who struggled to put brain cells together, was uh, was was playing it. So you thought she obviously she's they're not too bright herself, or is perhaps have an overinflated idea of just how smart her uh, her child might be. I think she was both.
1: Her the intelligence of her child, but I must say that all of the people that you played Dungeons and
0: Dragons with weren't highly intelligent people. So that her saying that only highly intelligent people could play it was not a true statement. <laughs> so you're saying they had stupid friends? I oh, will have I have to just have to hope that they don't uh, they don't hear this. Mind you, they probably owe you for all the uh, all the food that they ate at our house. In subsequent years, did you ever hear anything else about uh, it?
1: Program on the telly of, about Edinburgh and the old streets, uh, the, which are, you can go down into underneath Edinburgh, and it was all to do with a group of people playing Dungeons and Dragons, university students, I think. And um, but it all became part of a real murder. And
0: you uh... are you, str- are you uh, struggling not to say murder because I think the, the the program was actually tag it, wasn't it? Like they they'd played a I think I I did see that program, which is a Scottish television program. I think it might have been in Glasgow there, maybe, rather than than Edinburgh. Uh, And they were playing Dungeons and Dragons, and then the girl, uh, her character got killed or something, and so she had to leave early for the night? Yes. Do you remember anything else about it? I don't remember about it, but I remember being, sort of paying special attention
1: because they were talking about Dungeons and Dragons. Because I had thought that it was only something that, that, all kids played in a way and then over the time I just heard little snippets here and there and realised that adults played it as well it wasn't just a kids game which
0: interested me me rather and did that make you worry that your uh, son was going to be uh, playing a game that was potentially dangerous that uh, he might be enticed to commit suicide or something nasty happened to his character or uh, perhaps Uh, the dungeon master might kill his character off and then
1: intelligent enough
0: Okay, but not maybe so much as friends, is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, I think they're all bright enough in that department. Oh, I thought you were just trying to cover for earlier on. Yeah, I think the, game master, uh, the dungeon master did it in the end. Like He killed the ca- girl's character off so that she'd leave early and then he had some plan to get into it. But do you remember what the actors playing the detectives were sort of saying about it? I mean, they must have discovered that she was role-playing, but do you remember what their reaction to it was? No, I don't actually. I'll have, you yeah, I think I'll have to look it up because I sort of said this a little bit earlier on, but but even now I'm always reluctant to because from time to time it comes up that I wrote a book and then people will ask, you know, like, well, what's it about? And then the, the the easiest description that I can make is, oh, it's like it's a it's a role playing book, and then they'll say, well, you know, what's what's role playing? Because I suspect that. Half of them have got a mind that they're talking about, you know, like people getting tied up in rubber and being spanked or flogged or whatever it might happen to be. That tends to be the connotations that, that role-playing gets these days. But, but, but then but then you're sort of in an interesting position because they probably feel quite relieved when you, when you say, um, well, no, no, sort of like Dungeons and Dragons, and then automatically they're, they're, all, they're thinking you're weird, just weird in a different way. Do you remember discussing it with uh, Dad? Like, what's what's our, what's our son doing? He's not listening to punk rock or going out and smoking cigarettes and drinking heavily. He's he's rolling funny shaped dice, and it and it worries me. No, we
1: were never worried.
0: Did you ever discuss yeah, it though?
1: No, not, not in that way. We, we would have talked about you playing the games with your friends, but we never, I mean, it was just something that
0: you guys did. Yeah, well, that's, that's the thing, because... Uh, and smoking and
1: drinking, I suppose.
0: In America, like, I know it was a big thing, but obviously not in New Zealand, or at least not here. But again, I think part of it comes down to that the, there no such thing as the internet back then. So whereas cultural phenomena get around the place much more quickly now, like you know all about mm. various things pretty quickly, and back in those days, it certainly was slow to move. Thanks there to my mother, she had plenty more to say, but uh, unless you need a reminder to eat properly and to not run with scissors or jump on your bed, then uh, none of it would have been any particular interest to anybody else. Next I've got my father here, who after the judges hear this interview, will not be winning parent of the year. I'm now uh, talking with my father, Stephen, or Steve, to his friends. You can figure out for yourselves if you're in that category. I'll talk to Mum a bit about um, her initial reaction to, uh, to role-playing and anything that she remembers about it. I know that she was, because she got the dice, my first dice, and also did the photocopying at school, she was much more sort of involved in my early role-playing career, if, if you can call it that, or even now if you can call it that. But do you remember anything about her going to get, those, get the dice or about photocopying stuff at the school?
2: do remember that dice is is the weird plastic bag full of all these different shaped dice and I thought well I suppose you call them dice because my own experience with dice was six sides and spots one to six so it was really quite an eye-opener to see triangular and uh, hexagonal and heptagonal dice of varying colours. so it broadened by my life experience of dying.
0: <laughs> if your life was enriched by all these new possibilities. Do you remember ever uh, trying to play Dungeons & Dragons with me? I don't have
2: very clear memories. All I know is that it was extremely difficult for me to get my head around it from early on. And I think I also saw the potential for large amounts of time being consumed with it but I don't remember any details of my initial skirmish with Dungeon
0: no. I don't think we ever got to the skirmishing point. I think you made a character, and if I remember rightly, you called the character Garibaldi. Okay. I remember thinking, oh, that's, that's actually quite a good game. I think, I think uh, Dad's going to be good at this. But I don't remember actually ever playing anything, so my suspicions are that no. you, we got into the, uh, well, you can't do that, and you can't do that, like I got into with, with Mum, and, and then that was, the, that was the end of it. I
2: think my experience is a little bit the same. That it, it very soon became obvious that, that it was um, a potentially complex game uh, that required a lot of time, and I think probably at that point, I thought
0: this isn't going to work for me. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, the, uh, the the parent who's asked to play a game with a, with a small, or in this case, relatively young, young child and thinks it'll be a game like yeah. Snakes and Lads, it'll all be done and dusted inside 10 minutes, let the kid win, and then that's the end of it. I mean, Only to just see this yawning chasm of time opening up in, in front of you and possibly spending hours and hours and hours with no clear <laughs> end in sight doing your parental duties. I
2: think that's Very good uh, summation, actually, of how I felt at that particular moment. (laughs) Yeah, 30 years on, and we're still talking about Dungeons and Dragons. So uh, I think we, we, um, we both won on that one. (laughs) If there's
0: any winning and losing. (laughs) <laughs> well, that's right. That's one of the key aspects of role-playing. Very good, Dad. Do you ever remember role-playing coming up in, uh, in popular culture around that time? Because I know you used to watch 60 Minutes. It was called Foreign Correspondent in New Zealand. Do you ever remember a program about Dungeons & Dragons on that?
2: No, but I can, I can well imagine listening to a program on Dungeons and & Dragons. And I think that the tenor of the program there, that it was, it was possibly something rather evil or, or um, sort of mind Controlling and so on, and I think that was a little bit my feeling early on about it—that it sort of got got you in a grip, and uh, and it was something we didn't know anything about, and there was that sort of feeling: what little information we. Garnered from media and things
0: was, um, you know, it was potentially harmful to young minds and so on. <laughs> and so, being a being a good parent and and being concerned for your child, the first chance you actually had to get your hands on the book and read more about it and delve into it, you thought. Mm. No, I think probably I'll just have to uh, rely on the fact there's nothing evil about it, not pick up the book, not learn anything about it, not keep my child out of harm's way, just try and preserve what little personal time I have in the day and not fill it up with those of dragons.
2: I think, it, I think it went back to the yawning chasm of time, if you put it, <laughs> uh, every, each time. Um, and, and as you persisted with it, and you didn't sort of grow horns or anything, uh, I think our concern... Uh, Gradually diminished, and obviously, you're getting older, and it was entirely up to you what you wanted to do. So, we, yeah, just let go, and that was fine. And I think that's probably been, I think the. yeah, we're such as they were early on when we knew nothing about it, and when the feeling was that you know it was, it was uh,
0: potentially. Sort of but when you say the feeling was, like, did you do you have any concrete instances of discussing it with someone or seeing it on? Yeah, like, actually. I bring up that documentary, but but um, because that's the only thing that I know for a fact that was on television. Now there were a lot of things written about it, and it would probably be accurate to say that you pay more attention to the news than Mum did, but you don't remember any concrete examples of how it was no, represented. I don't. So where did you get this feeling that it was about mind control from? Because what I was saying to to Mum earlier was that without the internet, it's hard for information like that to get around the place. So how did you even hear anything about it?
2: Well, it must have been very fragmented, little bits here and there. You mentioned that program. I don't, I don't remember that particular program, but I can imagine that there was something on there that suggested it was something that needed to be Oh, there
0: wasn't something. That was the total tone of it. You should you should check it out on, on YouTube later on. But but the tone of it was very much, you know, these kids are playing with fire. And I say playing with fire because there's also an excellent book called Playing With Fire, which is a, anti-Dungeons and Dragons, where it makes a number of extremely inaccurate claims about how the book encu- entices you to go out and rape people. I don't think that sort
2: of idea was particularly in the front of my mind. It, it was more... Uh, the potential to become obsessive, something like that. Um, you know, to the exclusion of everything else in your life. It might be subversive and, inso- uh, and as such, it might become obsessive to people doing it. And, uh, but, I
0: mean, this idea must have come from somewhere, though, surely. Because, I mean, somebody would have uh, to discuss, you would have to read about the newspaper or, or something, but to get this feeling, it certainly wouldn't have come from me.
2: Well, no, no, it wouldn't. But um, that, that all I can repeat is... Is what I've said so far, and that, that sort of was the feeling at the time. Um, but, you know. there
0: was the word on the street, that's what people were discussing in the pub. They were talking about this scourge of Dungeons and Dragons that was uh, tearing young lives apart. It
2: must have been. No, it must have. You know, any sort of impression I got of it must have been formed by the way you approached it, and also by the bits and pieces through the media, but I couldn't put my finger on it.
0: On anyone in particular?
2: As I was saying, I think you were talking, about, um, as first time parents, uh, watching you grow up uh, and picking up you know, something like that. Uh, it was it was an unknown, and obviously as parents you tend to be watchful, I suppose, as good a word as any, uh, of what, what you're doing and, and how it's affected you. But
0: do you remember any other things to do with uh, with role-playing? I,
2: I remember thinking, how many more books does he need, for goodness sake? Uh, there was this pile of books that just seemed to be getting bigger and bigger, and and I, I found that rather puzzling, I must say, that you're sort of collecting these books. Um, but they always seem to be well used. And uh, I think I asked you on one occasion what was wrong with the first two. And you said, well, I've actually done those or something. Oh, OK.
0: You, okay. You, might be thinking about, um, you might be thinking about choose your own adventure or fighting fantasy type books where you sort of like turn through the books and, uh, and follow. Books. Yeah, they were. Did you ever do one of those to see yeah. what it was all about, to make sure that my soul wasn't being co-opted to do the devil's work?
2: used to actually, when I'd, I'd, I'd open them, and uh, after about 11 seconds, my eyes would sort of glaze over because it meant absolutely nothing to me. I was pleased to see there weren't any runes or anything like that in it, so that was quite
0: reassuring. <laughs> so, so runes were the thing to watch out for, like you went to a parent meeting, and in the parent meeting they said, now if your child has anything with runes in it, be sure to set it on fire immediately. Yeah. Did you ever discuss it with mum? Did you ever say, look, I'm a bit worried about what Daniel's getting into here. I think maybe we need to have an intervention? Yeah, or any,
2: any conversation of that uh, nature would have been approximately 30 seconds long or possibly 20 seconds long.
0: <laughs> I'm not sure whether to be flattered by your faith in my ability to resist the devil or slightly uh, disappointed at your lack of care for my mortal soul.
2: I haven't actually used the word devil yet. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, ever did, ever did. I think I think I think you've got a slightly more extreme version of what my
0: attitude to it was. Than no, no, I don't. I don't have any feelings. But as somebody growing up, I, I certainly didn't feel like I was fully supported in my hobby. And as much as I couldn't get your mum to grasp even the most basic fundamentals of it, but I don't remember ever thinking that you were concerned about what it was that I was doing. I know that mum had this thing where I had to get outside and get fresh air, but I don't think that had anything to do with role playing so much as Pips also computer games.
2: I go back to one of my earlier comments that uh, as sort of first-time parents and coming across something, you know, totally outside of our experience, it was uh, obviously we uh, we were interested to see, you know, where it would head and, and if it was, um, you know, it was kosher and so on, like, like anything. really Like, I mean, if you have gone skateboarding and, and become a skatey, uh, we'd have probably been just as concerned... With.
0: But you can understand a skateboard and what it does. But uh, if you'd been really, had been genuinely concerned about this uh, suspect hobby that I was participating in, wouldn't you have <laughs> picked the books up and read it to try to understand what was going on to make sure that I wasn't in any danger? Uh, no, no,
2: just a, a, a glance at it.
0: Uh, it? <laughs> a sideways glance, just open it up and, 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 yeah, and was just pass your, pass your eyes over uh, a, um, yeah. an Elmore picture of... Uh, of some scantily clad warriors? Possibly
2: the profile of a Dungeons and Dragons player at that time was, I suppose, a computer geek would be, well, not the equivalent now, but that sort of uh, profile. I was reading an item in the local paper, the, the Auckland Herald, uh, a couple of days ago, and it, it had highlighted an extremely successful student in Auckland who was... 15 and had cleared out of high school and was heading off to university. And his main uh, activity was role playing. So that was interesting that somebody who, by society standards, is extremely smart, um, finds well, role playing, um, you know, particularly satisfying. That confirms the fact that it is a highly complex game, um, intricate game, and requires plenty
0: of time and imagination. Uh, You've you've read my book, so now that you're fully versed on the ins and outs of role-playing and particularly the hazard system, you must be very impressed with what your son has been able to produce. It must be compulsory bedtime reading every night. Although
2: I have to say that I don't think I uh, proofread the the technical stuff as accurately as I read the the background information about... uh, Life in Victorian times and the gentry, as opposed to the down and out in Shoreditch
0: and so on. So, what you're saying is that my whole system, my whole mechanic, was uh, you paid no attention to it all, and you just read the uh, read the background. Well, it's good to know that my I, background I was. Paid
2: no attention at all. I said I I possibly didn't read the. The technical side of the book as closely as I read the information because the information was far, far far more interesting to me than. The
0: well, okay. so you must be ready for a test then. So here's the test. Question one: uh, What is the part of a character's skill called that they must roll within? Uh, um, I'm sorry, sir. I must hurry for your answer.
2: The, the um, um, class. <laughs>
0: Thanks very much for talking to me, Dad. I appreciate you taking the time to uh, share some of your recollections of my early uh, role playing career. What
2: was the answer to that last
0: question? Oh, I'm afraid you're going to have to read the book again this evening. Okay, good enough. Right. Okay, all right, bye. Well. That was my father, Stephen, who stared into the yawning chasm of time and managed to escape with it only claiming half an hour. Ordinarily, the show would be a little longer. Most of my guests in the future will be role players. And I'll run through a series of uh, questions with them, which they'll share in common, and hopefully we can pick up a common thread for all of their experiences. The last part of the show today is a piece I'm going to do about a book that influenced me. Uh, It may not necessarily be a book every week, but this week I'm going to take a look at a book called Project Twilight. Project Twilight was produced by White Wolf in 1995 and written by Chris Howard. Ostensibly part of the werewolf line, but uh, within the front cover it says you can run this type of story with either mage or werewolf or vampire. Now, uh, as I go through this, you'll probably hear some pages turning because I do have the uh, book in front of me at the moment. Like with most White Wolf products, there's a, little, there's a short story at the front. Now, this short story is about a police officer who gets uh, tangled up with some vampires and some, uh, and some werewolves in, in one fashion or another. But it really sets the tone for the whole, for the whole thing in as much as she desperately wants to know what's going on and is not put off by what happens to her during the, uh, during the story. And I think that probably that encapsulates what it is that I like about Project Twilight or about stories of this nature. Most people like to root for the underdog and in the world of darkness... Uh, at least the old world of Darks, I'm not very familiar with the new one. The humans, basic humans, are very much at a disadvantage, so it's always nice to play one of those people trying to put your wits and intellect against the uh, superpowers that these creatures have. Now, the introduction is just a sort short section which sets it up, it sets the tone, the mood, and so forth. And again, as I said before, it, you know, it spells out that you need to have uh, vampire or werewolf or mage in order to be able to run this. Uh, the book came out at around about the same time as Wraith and Changeling, but I think probably it wouldn't matter which core book you had, you'd be able to run adventures uh, based around the um, organization described in this book. Chapter 1 is all about character generations. Now, there are a few extra powers, and there are some merits and flaws, and also some cool gear that your, uh, that your agents can use. Um, in addition to that, there are some superpowers like divination and pyrokinesis and, and uh, things like that. But when I ran games in this, and I ran a few, um, I never actually used any of those superpowers, my feeling was that I wanted the players to be as as much like us as possible. And so by then going ahead and giving them superpowers as well, it meant that it was another superpowers versus superpowers story rather than a humans versus the supernatural story. So I tried to keep it as simple as possible uh, and keep the characters in the dark as much as possible about these uh, supernatural creatures, so that during the process of the game, their characters, if not the players, would learn something about the people they were trying to uh, defeat. Chapter two talks about sad Now sad is the special affairs department um, the acronym itself is as uh, a, a joke, I suppose, but the organisation is a lot like the X files. There are very few agents and they are dealing with the cases that nobody wants to deal with it really lends itself to playing an X-Files type game. There's a lot of description of personalities, and some of the best part of the book is uh, that they've got their 10 most wanted there, and they've got some really cool pictures and maps, and it's very evocative. Each one of these uh, 10 most wanted spawns lots of ideas for stories. I only picked on one of them for some of the stories that I ran, but overall it's uh, it's just very well written. There's lots of hooks, and it's really tight as well. All of the people from within the organization uh, tie in in some way with the the 10 most wanted that the section describes, so in that respect, it's uh, it's really good. Chapter 3 is about the NSA, and the NSA is much more uh, clandestine in uh, the game as in reality. There are sort of circles within circles. There's descriptions of uh, subgroups within the NSA that are associated with the supernatural. But overall, I didn't really touch on that. I felt that one organization that is sad was was enough to be going on with, at least in terms of character. The third section is about the CIA. There aren't that many um, personalities described within the CIA, but one of them that is described is a character by the name of Bob Schnoblin. Now, anybody that's aware of some of the shenanigans that were going on around about the time that Dungeons & Dragons was released will probably be familiar with Bob Schnoblin's, uh, well, sorry, Bill Schnoblin's name. Bill Schnoblin was a self-professed satanic priest and uh Wiccan and so forth and he maintains that Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson approached him to get information about rituals that were going to be used in Dungeons and Dragons and various occult information and he's still of the opinion that if you carefully follow the information about rituals in the book you will be able to successfully perform some of these rituals yourself obviously Chris Howard uh wants to have a bit of a go at him and I'm going to read you a short excerpt from it and uh you get a feeling Bob Schnoblin character Bob is a small, overweight, balding man in his mid-fifties. He still imagines himself to be a living weapon. His voice is high-pitched and whiny. And later on it goes on to say, Bob is not very popular in the agency. His toadying minions are referred to as Schnoblins Goblins. Any character who starts out working for Schnoblins should transfer quickly, as working under him for long is guaranteed to destroy their career. Chapter 5 contains a rather large section on the secret backstories of most of the personalities described in SAD and the NSA, and that excerpt that I read you about Bob Schnoblin was from Bob Schnoblin's page. In the preceding chapter, he's got this excellent Bob Schnoblin's Pyramid of Power, where he links up all these various organisations. Among them are uh, the Pope and uh, the Sabbat, and also Water fluoridators. So you get a real feeling for this Bob Schnoblin's craziness. And perhaps also you got a feeling for Bill Schnoblin's craziness. Chapter 6 is an adventure. It's called The St. Clair Project. I don't want to give too much away, but it's a, another really nice tight piece. It fits in well with the background for the personalities described in the book. Unlike a lot of the White Wolf products where it's all very vague, which is not necessarily a criticism. Some people like that. But uh, this particular scenario is set out nicely and I think that even with a limited amount of additional research, you could run it quite happily, and I think the players would enjoy it. So overall, the book is is great. If you can get hold of a copy, then I strongly recommend that you do. That's it for Episode 1 of Penny Red. Thanks for tuning in. Next week, I'll be speaking with Karen Twelves, twitter.com slash k12s. We'll be talking about Fiasco, about Big Bad Con, and we're going to take a look inside the Roleplayers studio. Until then, goodbye.